Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. If you don't keep an eye on your books, you aren't educated yourself, at least to the point where you can catch both. If you can't sniff it out, then you're not going to catch it. And you need to be watching your own bag, no matter how much you trust the other guy. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Tim Donofrio. Tim is joining us from Crown Point, Indiana. He is the owner of Allocated Assets. He specializes in commercial real estate investments, and commercial property management. Tim's portfolio consists of a minority stake across multiple properties. Tim, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I am fantastic, sir. How are you? Very well. And best ever listeners, fair disclosure, I met Tim because there was a property that we purchased in Merrillville, Indiana, and Tim is a phenomenal property manager I wanted to get a story on here and share some of the lessons that he learned with all of you. So, Tim, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Background is not related to real estate. I was a touring musician, hence all the tattoos and long hair and beard, and I just never grew out of that. But I went from that, I started a family and decided I need to do something where I'm staying home. So I got into real estate because I like to work for myself. And I started in the residential game, quickly realized that it's a little bit more person-to-person interaction that doesn't suit me as well as maybe Excel spreadsheets and short emails that just get to the point. So commercial jumped out to me as an opportunity for me to get into that and haven't looked back since. So you're saying it's hard to go from rock star to residential real estate, huh? Yes, nice. <laughs> it really <Okay>. is. <laughs> Let's talk about that leap to commercial. What was it about commercial? And what was your first dip in the toes in commercial? Well, I was on a residential team with a young guy, younger than me, and he was very successful. He was a mutual friend for my partner that I work with now. He came in and started hanging out outside of the office, hanging out on weekends, having a couple of drinks and just talking about business and life and stuff. His name's Chris. He just started explaining to me the differences between commercial and real estate and how they're basically not even the same thing at all. 
And that piqued my interest. And then he started getting to the incredible complexities of how commercial can be done. It doesn't have to be just leases and the boring stuff that is kind of similar to residential. And he and I just kind of hit it off as friends just because he had a professional background in doing something professionally outside of real estate as well. We had similar music tastes and we just started hanging out more and talking more about commercial real estate. And one of our mantras was how hard could it be? So that was how the property management company came into existence. It was like, well, how hard could it be? Let's just do it. Figure it out on the go. You started a property management company for commercial real estate. Do you do apartments as well? Yeah, we do a couple. We do some single family homes, some multifamilies. When I got into it, I specifically didn't want to get into residential, but I have a partner, Julie. She has her own rental properties and she brought that expertise to the table. I was like, if you want to take them on, go ahead, but that's not me. Tim, let's talk about the differences between managing commercial and managing residential. I'll let you start. I think when you get into commercial, typically, depending on the type of asset you have, people sign leases and actually read them. And they kind of have an understanding of what their responsibilities are versus what yours are. And when you get into residential, people just, it's a lease. Hey, I'm signing the lease and I get to move in. That's kind of like the extent to which people review their leases and then There's a lot of phone calls and emails and requests for things to be repaired that have nothing to do with the property manager or the property owner. And the headaches of having to explain people's leases get more and more difficult with residential, I would say. And in terms of tenant interaction, problem solving, differences between commercial and residential, really in terms of headaches. The headaches commercial guys can be a little bit more bullish and maybe try and bully you around to try and get what they want, even despite what the lease says or try and play with words to get what they want, but a little bit more direction. How can I hone in on the answer? Really where I'm going is what's more of a pain in the ass to deal with residential or commercial tenants? Oh, residential. Hands down. Yeah. And the difference is we're dealing with business owners when we do commercial, we're dealing with homeowners when we do residential. We don't have showers, dogs, kids to deal with with commercial. And we have people that have a vested interest in keeping their place up and making it look nice and inviting versus the wear and tear that residential places often endure. Right. It's kind of like getting a rental car where you kind of beat the hell out of it because it's not yours. <laughs> um, and you brought back memories. I used to drive those rental cars that were stolen. That's exactly. right. Hey, that's Driving a great example. I'm going to use that one. So Um, what are you doing today to acquire more business or you've got your own deals as well, right? Yeah. So first time we met in person, I gave you our little, how we do business thing. Cause I think you asked me for a business card and I said, my partner, Chris and I, we don't do business cards. You kind of looked at me like, you don't do what now? Yeah. We do quality over quantity. So we don't do as many deals as possible in a year. We just do as the highest quality returns for our clients as possible. And usually with that, the type of clients that we have, we mainly deal in medical spaces and our clients are typically doctors or in that field where they want to stick with what they know. It's a pretty tight knit community, as you probably know. And when one person hears, oh, so-and-so made me X amount of dollars on this investment, trying to I'll do each other in conversation or something like that. And it's like, oh, well, 
let me talk to him. I want to make that X amount of percentage on my money. So we do that pretty localized, but word spreads quickly and we have more work than we can handle. So it's really kind of just focused on doing the best we can with fewer clients more than just turning them through the meat grinder. Tim, when somebody comes up to you wanting to get commercial real estate exposure, do you also help find the deal or do you just manage what they have? Oh, I'll absolutely help find the deal. That's something I've gotten better at. It's kind of a bit of a skill looking at your cap rates and reading leases and all that kind of stuff and vetting the deal before you even wait somebody's time with putting it on their plate so they can just tell you that they don't like it for certain reasons. So absolutely that we'll search, we'll manage one-stop shop. A lot of times we're going to underwrite the deal too before the bank even sees it, just so that the process is streamlined and we can focus on the important stuff. Interesting. And I did not know that. Okay. So somebody can come to you and they just want commercial real estate exposure. They'll tell you whether it's retail, industrial, or medical or office, let's Mm -hmm. say, and Mm -hmm. you will essentially scour the market and wait till that deal comes up. And then do you get an equity share of those deals typically? Completely based on the circumstance. It depends on if the client wants to give up equity or if they just want to pay me to go away. It just completely depends on the deal. But we do operate in that field. One of our things that Chris and I do very well, and specifically Chris, is get extremely creative, especially on the financing side, whether that's us getting paid or them getting paid or everybody getting paid. So that's one of the things that helps us stand out from other people that might just do turn and burn. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with commercial real estate. And when Tim and I speak about commercial real estate, correct me if I'm wrong, but we mean non-residential commercial, right? We don't mean five units or more. The way to win commercial real estate is just by getting creative, creative with acquiring tenants, drafting the leases, putting deals together, getting investors on board. The more creative you could be to find solutions, the more successful that you'll be. Tim, 100%. property management companies get a horrible rap. I can't tell you how many forums that I'm on where people are, are there any good PM companies in this market or this market? And the responses are typically, no, they all suck. Why is that? What's the deal with your industry and why so many bad property managers are out there? If I had to take a guess, I think it's because you get the combination of broker and property manager in the same space. And it's easy money when you are just collecting checks every month. What would make a good property manager is A, they pick up the phone or they answer emails or timely responses to something that needs to be repaired. Because that's usually what interaction with a tenant is going to be. Um, I would say that it's very easy to get complacent when the job just turns into collecting the money and dispersing the money versus you have to be hands-on with reading leases, renewing leases, enforcing leases. And when you have to get into actual work, (laughs) that's when people start to get a bit lazy. But as long as you stay on top of requests coming in or questions coming in, it's really not that hard. It's like anything else where you got like a laundry list of things to do around the house and you keep putting it off, you keep putting it off. And Eventually, you wind up getting to it, and you're like, well, why didn't I just do that earlier? It took me five minutes. If you can avoid the trap of just getting complacent with just money in, money out, it's usually the easiest route. If you had to hire a property management company in Anchorage, Alaska, what are some questions you would ask to qualify them? Well, I'd want to know what level of service 
they're providing because not all property management is created equal. Sometimes you, you have them completely handle the money. That means every check that gets cut, they're cutting it. Every check that comes in, they're cashing it. Are they doing a full service where they're handling the books? And if so, I'd want to know what other tenants they've worked with, with an experience with handling the money, because that's very important. Because these are investments. You want to make sure your money's in good hands. I would like to know what systems they have in place to handle complaints from tenants or questions from tenants and make sure that it's streamlined and make sure that they have a history of being able to execute and read leases. Just the basic fundamentals of doing it. And like I said, making sure that the phone rings or an email sent, they're there and they're answering and they're going to reply in a timely manner. Tim, earlier you mentioned a lot of property managers are also brokers. Ideally, should you look for one that's solely a property manager or is it okay to use a property manager that also has a side hustle or a main hustle as a broker? You don't want to paint a broad stroke where it's not necessary. So it really comes down to the individual. I'm doing it. So obviously I wouldn't hold it against somebody else if they did it as well. It's just a matter of, are you putting too much on your plate? A lot of people take on projects. I'm sure you're painfully aware that they think they have the capacity to take it on and they don't. They won't tell you that they don't. They'll just take it on because they can't be honest with themselves. So as long as they're capable, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Yeah. The reason I asked that is I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine and he's in the Cleveland market. And apparently up there, he says that all the brokers up here are also investors. So when they find a deal, they'll pick over the good ones and hand the rest off to their buddies. And then the ones that don't get picked up gets thrown in the market. And my advice was find a broker that has no interest in investing in their own deals. To me, all the really good brokers that I've used, they don't invest themselves. It's strictly for their clients. Yeah. So that's why I asked that. What you said makes sense. You're a broker. You look for deals as well and you manage them. So don't typecast particular people. In terms of finding deals, what are you doing to find great commercial deals? It's tough right now. The standard issue, like everybody else, is maybe you find the diamond in the rough on LoopNet or Crexy or like that. But really, it's communicating with other brokers. Like you said, those pocket deals are the ones they try and keep the good ones for themselves. The good ones don't even make it to market because, well, for obvious reasons, everybody's looking and everybody's very hungry to pick up something right now if they can get the appropriate terms and interest rates and everything. So it's about having a good network and not just locally. You want to be able to have a network that can span. If you're based on the East Coast, try and get into the Midwest and vice versa. But it's really about relationships. And typically people who know they have something good don't even want to take it to market. So they will put out that APB within a network. And then, then as long as you have your finger on the pulse, you might be able to find something. What are the big mistakes that people make when they're self-managing commercial real estate? Self-managing? So they own the building and they're running their own yep. property management? The biggest mistake is they think that it's not going to take up any time. Like, oh, it's easy money. I'm just going to save 15, 20 grand a year. I'll just pocket it and I'm just going to collect the checks. It's really just the underestimating the work involved that comes with it and the interactions and relationships that get developed with the tenants. Because you want to have a good relationship with the tenants because you want them to come to you if they have questions or issues as fast as possible because sometimes if you let those festers they turn into something bigger then it becomes something that wasn't your problem now becomes your problem it's a lot of time investment in fielding the questions fielding the complaints doing the bookkeeping the back end stuff 
but don't underestimate the, the time involved, especially if you've never done it before. There's a learning curve to it and you can certainly lose a lot of time trying to just get caught up to that. Tim, when somebody brings a property or a portfolio to you, do you qualify the client? And if so, what questions do you ask? We will qualify them. The biggest things I'm going to ask, like you said, if it's a property versus a portfolio, if they have a portfolio, obviously they have a history of other buildings, but I just want to get a background of what their knowledge is already, of what their expectations of my position are going to be. And once I have an understanding of what their expectations are of me, then I can explain to them what I do on a typical basis and what they can expect of me. It's less qualifying them and qualifying myself to them. Because if they have the building, then it needs to be managed. And as long as they don't expect me to come wipe their butt for them at their house, we're all just doing business here. Yeah. So any property management company that just says, yeah, we'll manage it without asking questions, I would be fearful of. Right. You want to make sure you set expectations and that the client doesn't have crazy high expectations of what you should be doing and you don't typically do. Right. I'll give them options too. It's kind of like a service package options. We can do full service where we handle all the funds. We can just handle bringing the money in. You can handle the money out. We can be putting new tenants in. You have your own broker you want to do. It's kind of just like a a la carte situation where we tell them what we will provide. And it kind of eliminates too many questions needing to be asked on my end outside of just what expectations they have for me. But like I said, I'm kind of giving them the expectations for me. Can we walk through that fee structure? So what do your services start at? On a full service, we'll do 5% of gross on a building. If we're doing something where I'll collect the money and deposit into your account, but I'm not writing any checks for you, but I'm still doing full service as far as tending the grounds and managing leases, that's going to be about 4%. There's going to be some variation of that. We're probably not going to go too far beneath 4% depending on what they're grossing per month. And Tim, to clarify, when you say full percent, it's I can basically buy a property, hand it off to you, and just get, let's say, monthly reports. I don't have to worry about financials, writing checks, getting tenants to fill vacancies, interacting with tenants, fielding any calls at all. Is that correct? 5% basically means you don't exist Ah, to anyone outside of me. No one's going to know you're the building owner. No one's going to be contacting you about their problems. You're not going to hear about any problems. Unless maybe it's an insurance claim you have to make. For example, another building I manage, there was a tornado in the area and blew over all of the AC rooftop units. And only two of them miraculously were damaged to the point where they couldn't be repaired. But owner didn't even need to know about it till it was like, hey, this is an insurance claim to take care of. Because the whole point of having a property manager, in my opinion, is what am I paying you for if I have to deal with all these headaches? I'm paying you to pay for the headaches. So I try to make sure that the property owner has little to no hands-on requirements unless they want to. That's part of that conversation is what do you want to know? What don't you want to know? You just want to see your bank account going up every month or do you want to know there's a repair that needed to be done that you weren't aware of? Or if Karen's complaining about her neighbors. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Is 5% for multifamily as well? And is that typical? It depends on how many units we're talking about. Again, I never really dove into the multifamily too much. That's kind of why I brought my partner, Julian, to do that because she had experience and she wanted to do it. So I let her dictate based off of if it's a single family home, 
again, if it's a multi-unit single family home, because you can get maybe three or four units out of a larger home, or if it's an apartment complex, it's completely negotiable based on the requirements on our end. And it's a ratio between what are our requirements, what are the owner's requirements. So I I like to be fluid with that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense because I don't want to manage anybody's single family houses for 5%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's going to change drastically. (laughs) Tim, do you remotely manage properties as well? Ones that are far from where you're located? I have not done that. Not yet. No, it's been something that's come on my radar. I want to be prepared for it if that opportunity presents itself, but not yet. What do you think the biggest challenge would be? It's so easy to be out of the loop, even when you're down the street from the property. So if you are a plane ride away versus a car ride away, you need to have boots on the ground. For example, someone's saying this common area item, let's just say there's a common area bathroom. And someone's saying there's something wrong with the bathroom, there's something wrong with the toilet. Okay, I either have to have boots on the ground there or I have to go check and look at it myself to make sure they know what they're talking about. Because most of the time it's kind of, what do they know? They don't know anything. They're just saying that it's broken. They pretend like they know what they're talking about. So not being boots on the ground to see things for yourself and then having to waste time, money, or resources to get somebody out there to look at something they didn't need to be looked at. We'll get back to the show. The first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? SyndicationAttorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At SyndicationAttorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Advice that I would offer is on your current properties, maybe start keeping a log of any time you or Julie has to go on site. And if at all possible, avoid it. I went through this during COVID. We kind of moved to a summer home that's an hour away from here. And I didn't want to go to any of my properties when people called. So I put systems in place. I use my super user tenants that I call them. You have that one badass tenant that is your eyes and ears and will let you know when the weeds have to be sprayed or the snow removal people didn't show up yet or didn't do a good job. So I started doing that really out of laziness and necessity because I didn't want to have to drive an hour, hour and a half to a property. So I wonder if keeping that log and questioning yourself each time you have to go on site, do I really have to go or can I get a local handyman. And look, I've done that too. Matter of fact, I had a three-story downspout pipe. Tenant called, and this place is only 10 minutes from my house. Three-story office building. Tenant called, downspout pipe was laying on the driveway. So I'm like, okay, old me would have gotten the ladder out and gone up there and spent half a day or two days even trying to fix that, watching YouTube videos. But this time... I got onto my local real estate Facebook group forum and I said, does anybody have somebody that could fix this downspout? 
actually had a tenant send me a picture of it. And right away, two people from my network call my guy. He's awesome. And before that, I called my commercial roofer that I've used for a long time. And they wanted $3,000 to fix that. And these you know, apartment people that have people on staff said, use my guy. They got it done for $200, right? Yeah. So I would challenge you. I know you can do it remotely managing properties, but just start by pretending your local properties are remote. Yeah. And just see yeah. how that goes. So Tim, I want to educate our best ever listeners a little bit. Let's talk about some of the language or the customary things to managing commercial tenants. So one, everyone thinks of triple net when they think commercial real estate or retail. Everybody wants yep. that mailbox money. Now, triple net isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Unless it's a McDonald's, that's true triple net. Can you yep. share with us what is involved with managing a triple net property? Well, a triple net property is essentially easier than gross depending on how much you care about your building. So you want me to explain just for the listeners maybe who don't know or do you think they all pretty much know what triple no, net let's, gross are? Uh, let's dive into it. Let's start from the top. Yeah, triple net is basically full service where they're going to be paying the triple net fee for common area maintenance, assuming that there is common area, but it usually does just cover your snow removal, lawn care, but they also are paying for your taxes and insurance. That's through triple net scam insurance and property taxes. And they pay extra on top of their already existing rent based on the square footage and what the expenses are. And that one's generally pretty easy to deal with because they're responsible for any repairs that are done inside their unit, depending if they read their lease and understand their lease and don't bother you with a light bulb needing to be repaired, which still to this day is something I struggle with. But that's going to be an easier task than your gross leases where they pay a flat rate and they can complain to you up and down all day that something needs to be repaired. And it's up to you if you've deemed that worthy, but you're not obligated to, to go fix it. And again, that's more on a building owner decision than it is for, say, like a property manager, unless there's a budget. And then there's the absolute triple nets where they do everything. They take care of every single thing. And that's real mailbox money where you don't have to worry about just about anything. And that's essentially you getting 5% and I never have to hear from you. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. But I think it's important to dispel those myths where not all triple nets are created equal. They're not all mailbox money. And what you said was absolute triple net. And those are the ones where you know, HVAC can go out, building can catch on fire, whatever. They're responsible for everything. That's truly the mailbox money. But those other nuances where you still get the call, my HVAC is out, this light that I can't reach is out. The devil's in the detail of the leases. Sometimes you, maybe as the property manager, are responsible for fixing things, but you bill it back to them or right. you amortize it over a certain amount of time. And mm -hmm. you've probably seen endless nuances on how to handle these things in all the leases that you've looked over. Yeah. And to your point is a lot of the times it's just communicating up front about each other's expectations. So unless it's as you said, in the lease detailed and says specifically that I have to get everything fixed. And then if it's their responsibility to pay for it, then I send them the, the invoice. If it's not in the lease, then we'll just have that conversation up front. A lot of the times, a lot of leases I've dealt with, it's not specifically itemized in the lease. So I'll just have a conversation with them and be like, listen, if you want to fix, just get it, call somebody out, 
here's a list of our vendors, depending on what the problem is. If there's ever a problem with the plumbing, call this guy. If there's ever a problem with the HVAC, call this guy and just get it fixed. If it's our responsibility to pay for it based on what they say the problem is, we will pay for it. Because your responsibility, you're agreeing up front that you're not going to complain that it's something you have to pay for. Like with HVAC, maybe it's a thermostat that's not working and that's on them. But if it's the furnace itself, yeah, we have to make sure that's in working order. So the devil is in the details. But if you want to fix, just get them out and we'll figure it. We'll parse through it later. Yeah, a lot of our leases are HVAC repairs or tenant's responsibility replacements are ours. Mm-hmm. So that's also a tough one because they'll call somebody out and they'll say, oh, it's got to be replaced. You call somebody out. It's like, oh, come on, like 700 bucks and we can get this thing working for several more years. Yeah. So yeah, each lease is completely different. What are some of the craziest nuances you've seen in a lease? Man, that's a tall order off the top of my head. What is the craziest nuance I have ever seen in a lease? I'm kind of drawing a blank to be honest with you, for anything that would stand out as offensive. Let me maybe marinate on that, and then I'll get back to you with yeah. a good answer. Yeah. What uh, about the, you? What have you seen? The first time I saw a sightline provision, it was a Dollar Tree, and basically you take their footprint and you drag it out across a giant parking lot to the main road. Nothing could impede that sightline. The view from the road to the actual Dollar Tree And that was a challenge because it cut through the center of this huge parking lot that would have been ideal to have a Starbucks or a Chipotle. And that was one little paragraph in a 60-page lease. And actually, we didn't catch that until we had a coffee company wanting part of the parking lot. So it was our title company who read through all the leases and the attorneys that read through all the leases. And they said, hey, guys, just so you know, You have a sightline provision here. So if you sell it to this person, make sure they're off to the side. And we were like, oh my God, I don't know why we didn't catch that. But now we look for that. Yeah. Um, They've also had competition clauses where they can't have any other discount store. Well, wait a minute. Like what's a discount store? Half the retailers out there now. It could be Walmart. Yeah. They're discount retailers. I don't know, man. Crazy things like that. I know Starbucks, they used to sign 10-year leases, and now they do a five-year kicker where they have the option of getting out in year five, and it's only the savvy landlords or property managers that are like, okay, guys, we know this trick. Here's the deal. We'll give you the five-year out, but it's going to cost you two years of rent or one year of rent. You're paying $100,000 to get out of this lease. That's why I love commercial because there's no playbook written on this stuff. Apartments, single families, mobile home parks, and there's boot camps, there's masterminds, there's entire books and courses written on that asset class. With commercial, every deal is so different. Have you spent any time doing transactional residential real estate at all? I've gotten my ass kicked every time I've done residential <laughs> for the most part. I've bought apartments, mixed use. And the problem is, I fall for every sob story. If somebody can't pay their rent, first, it's probably several weeks before they even hear from me. And then it's like, oh, okay, you know, I'm working on this. I'll have it to you next week. Awesome. Thank you. Hope you're well. Anything I could do for you. And then a couple more weeks go by. It's another sob story. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Just let me know when you got it. And next thing you know, we're six months behind and I just got screwed. Yeah. To the point that is so inside the box thinking that you have to do. It's like, 
here's the box, make it work with inside the box. That's from the lending side. That's from the title side. It's from actually the whole residential side. And it gets so boring and tedious. I kind of liken it to if you're a cartoon artist that has to trace or a tattoo artist that's just doing tracing versus somebody who gets the freehand or do their own designs. It's kind of like liberating to be able to create the own lines that you operate within. You don't have to fit inside the box. You're right. For example, you take a vacancy. Do you slice it in half or in thirds? What's the easiest way to rent it out? Is it too big to find a single tenant for 30,000 square feet? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. The saying, I guess, is the answer is always yes. It's just how much does it cost? Yeah. Awesome. Tim, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? If it sounds too good to be true, most likely is, but you have to find somebody that you trust. It's the same thing as having an accountant or a bookkeeper. You have to have somebody that you can trust to be putting you in the best position possible because it's so easy for somebody to take advantage of your money. If you give them too much trust, they are looking out for themselves and not looking out for you. So it's very much like, say, if you won the lottery and someone says, I can take care of your money for you. And if you don't keep an eye on your books, you aren't educated yourself, at least to the point where you can catch bull. If you can't sniff it out, then you're not going to catch it. And you need to be watching your own bag, no matter how much you trust the other guy. So I would say get educated yourself as much as you can without being the guy that is capable of taking down the deal yourself. Yeah, great advice. Tim, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. I'm ready. All right, Tim, what's the best ever book you recently read? I'm going to do 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. What was your big takeaway from that book? Oh, man. Just clean your room. Stand up with your chest out. Taking absolute responsibility for everything that you do and educating yourself in all aspects of life. It comes down to that personal responsibility thing. If you're going to do something, make sure you are educated enough that you can do it without being taken advantage of. Help me understand something. As an effective and successful property manager, you have to be meticulous, attention to detail, Are you a type A personality? I like to think so. And I'd say nine out of 10 items, I'm going to say yes to that. I would say there's probably an exception or two where you might catch me having a trait that is not of type A. But yeah, I I think so. Plus I have OCD. Not like diagnosed OCD, just... I love it. Okay, so if you walk into your property manager's office and it looks like my desk, run. Is your desk bad? Oh, God. It's it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, it is. Okay, so that makes sense. OCD, attention to detail, is a must for you and your business. Yeah. One of the biggest things is reading leases and understanding leases. So that needs more attention to detail than your leases or purchase agreements. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times we've skimmed over leases and got caught on something, maybe a personal guarantee was taken out during one of the back and forth revisions and mm-hmm. it's cost six figure mistake. All right. Good to know. So Tim, what's the best ever way you like to give back? The partner we brought in, Julie, she's trying to get into the commercial game. She's kind of got the same background as me. She started off in residential and figured out it's not for her. So get lots of calls about leases that she's reading over questions about the leases and decorum is done between brokers and stuff. So I do mentor her pretty heavily, but right now it's just one. I don't want to take on more than I need to. And there is a huge difference between brokers in the residential world and the commercial world. I had a conversation a while back and this young lady was like, wait a minute, 
you're telling me your commercial brokers don't walk through the inspection with you. They don't walk you through the financing and underwriting. I'm like, no, they introduce a deal and stay out of her way. Yeah. We, we don't even want to interact with them. Thanks for the Absolutely. deal. I'll take it from here. It's not personal. We're talking about investments here. I'm presenting you an opportunity and I'm going to help you along the way, but this is an opportunity. It's not your forever home. It's not super personal like that. Yeah. No emotions. I don't care what color the kitchen is. If there is one, we're not first time buyers where it's the biggest decision of our life. This is what we do for a living. So yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. A lot of nuances. And Tim, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? If they want to find me on Instagram, I don't really do too much Facebook anymore just because I just get burnt out on that. I have listings on Marketplace. I'll get on and read my messages from Marketplace inquiring about spaces available. But Instagram, it's Tim Donofrio, T-I-M-D-O-N-O-F-R-I-O. And I'm always on there. And time, right, so. right now, the market that you manage properties in is Indiana. Yes. Anywhere else? Not currently. Looking to expand south down into the Indy area. That hasn't come to fruition yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. And overall, the Midwest, give me your thoughts on how overlooked the Midwest is by investors. Honestly, that's primarily where we're looking for investment opportunities is the Midwest. I don't want to get political, but the West Coast is inhospitable, I feel, to investments, primarily California, Oregon, or whatever. And then the East Coast, same thing with like New York, Philly, Boston. It's not impossible, but I do feel as though there's more competition, less returns, at least a higher barrier of entry, whereas Midwest is a lower barrier of entry and you're still getting, depending on the deal, depending on cap rate, all that, your returns are still great. I think it's a great spot for people to get their feet wet before they get into like big leagues of major cities. Yeah, that's a great point. Deals are accessible, tons of deals under a half a million dollars. And the returns are steady, right? Our cash flow is always good. We don't have the boom and bust cycles that some of the places like Austin, Miami, Phoenix area has. It's always been mm-hmm. pretty steady. Good job growth. Yep. So very overlooked. Best ever listeners, reach out to Tim. He'll find you a deal and he'll manage it for you. Tim, again, thanks for sharing all these nuances with commercial real estate. Gosh, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.